Good morning. Uh, my name is Tin. I'm doing the second Bible reading uh, this morning. And it's taken from the, uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 3, uh, verses uh, from 1 to 20. If you can sort of turn over your Bible or you can follow the screen uh, on, on the script. In the 15 years at the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip Tetrarch of Etruria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the desert. He went into the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. It is written in the book of words of Isaiah the prophet. A word of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley should be filled in every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough way smooth, and the mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowd coming out to be baptized by him, you blood of wipers, you who warn you to free from the coming wrath, produce fruit <clears throat> in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, the man with two tongues should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldier asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their heart if John might possibly be the Christ. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come the thongs of, wood, of whose saddles I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat in his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. 
But when John rebuilt Herod the Tetrarch because of Heroditus, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he has done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in the prison. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Tin. Uh, let's pray once again. Do keep your Bibles open, but let's join our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to reflect on the words of Scripture, may you speak to us what our hearts need to hear. And we pray, Lord, that you'll change our hearts in the way we must be changed, so that we might see the Lordship of Christ ruling over our lives and in this church family. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it has been um, 10 years of uh, service in this church, and, and we do want to express our deep, heartfelt thanks to you, the church family. Um, over the 10 years, I've lost um, a bit of weight and a lot of hair as well over those 10 years. Uh, but I do want to express that uh, it is undeserved blessing from God and you, the church family, that we can serve amongst you with our eyes focused not on each other, but on Christ, our Lord and King and our Saviour. But this past week, I was reflecting on my job and my ministry and my role here. Um, have you thought about what the task of a pastor is? What the task of a minister is? Now, of course, as a minister, we've got funerals. There were a few of those recently in our church family. There are weddings. Uh, last night, we had premarital counselling with a couple getting married this year. In fact, this year, there will be many weddings, and so it's very exciting. A few months, so almost every week. Very exciting. But what would you say is the task of a pastor, the role of a minister, if you were to sum it up? Well, I think it can be summed up this way. The task of a minister is to prepare people for life and death. The task of a pastor is to prepare people for life and death. It's as simple as that. And so my question then to you is, are you prepared for life? That is, are you prepared to live the life that God has given you in honour of him as our Heavenly Father, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, in step with the Spirit of God whom he has given you? Are you prepared to live a life that is worthy of the gospel? Worthy, not unworthy of the gospel. But of course, the other question, are you prepared for death? Are you prepared for death? Now, I'm not talking about making our own funeral arrangements. I mean, I started to do that. I've informed Yvonne what hymns I want at my funeral. She doesn't want to hear it. I said, no, you have to hear it. I'm going to write it down. You, you better keep this somewhere. But I don't mean that. Are you prepared for death? That is, are you prepared to meet your maker? Are you prepared to meet the God who gave you life? as we all close our eyes for that very last time, and as we open up our eyes and put our eyes upon the one who gave us life, are we prepared to meet him, the one who will hold us accountable, the one to whom we must give account? Are you prepared for death? You see, the work of a pastor is to prepare people for life and death, which of course means proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ and him crucified. There is nowhere else in the world where you can find salvation apart from Christ. But also, connected to that, is also proclaiming a message of judgment. There is judgment coming. Jesus is the Lord and he is judge. 
You see, there was a time when pastors were the fire and brimstone preachers. You know, to scare and terrify people with the burning sulfurs and the flames of hell. I mean, Jonathan Edwards, the Puritan, in his famous sermon, it was titled, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Imagine hearing a sermon on that. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. That is terrifying. But it does seem that speaking about judgment today has gone out of fashion. Over the last few years, uh, in fact, over the last few decades, it's just become too offensive to talk about sin. You are a sinner. You are guilty. And you are deserving of judgment. It's come out of fashion and it sounds too offensive to the modern ear. And so what that has meant is that it's very easy for pastors and ministers to only speak about the niceness of Christianity. About love and peace and joy and forgiveness. And of course we must. But to neglect to talk about judgment is to neglect to prepare people for death. Because one day we will meet the judge. And that was the very message of John the Baptist in this passage. He didn't go beating around the bush. There was no bait and switch, just like Jonathan Edwards. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. He prepared people for life and death. And so who was John the Baptist? Well, let's have a look. Keep your Bibles open to Luke 3. Well, John the Baptist stands, in a sense, as the last of the Old Testament prophets with that same purpose of the prophets from the Old Testament. And just like any prophet, God tells you to say something and you go and say it. As simple as that. They heard the word of God and they went to speak the word of God. And that was what John did. Do you see that? Verse 2. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. God told him, and he went to tell them. As simple as that. But in effect, what he was doing was he was preparing people for life and death because the Lord was about to come. And so do you see in verse 4, he was the one who would fulfill what Isaiah prophesied in our first reading in Isaiah 40, about 700 years before this event. He was the voice, verse 4, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now do you notice there who Isaiah prophesied would come? It was to prepare the way for the Lord. 700 years ago before this event, Isaiah said, God is coming. Be prepared. God is coming. In fact, there will be a voice who will call out from the desert, asking you, telling you, warning you to be prepared. That was 700 years. And the Lord, of course, they've been waiting for, was God himself. God will come. The King of Kings will come. And now... He's about to arrive. And so John's task was to be like the forerunner to the king, like a trumpeter in a royal fanfare. You know, they, they blow their trumpets to announce that the king is arriving, the queen is arriving, the royalty is coming. And so John's task, he was to announce the coming of the king of kings. He smoothed out the path for God's arrival. I mean, if you think about that, if God is coming, you better be prepared. 
You better be prepared. And John's task was to prepare the people for the coming of God. And so we hear the description here. The mountains made low, the crooked road straightened, the rough way smoothed out. Now, of course, that's just metaphorical image. But it was preparation, not like cleaning the streets of Jerusalem before Jesus walked on it. But it was a spiritual preparation upon the hearts of the people. And for what purpose? We see in verse 6. It was so that all mankind will see God's salvation. God is about to come. And he is about to come with salvation. And so John, who was the long-awaited forerunner, who will prepare the people for life and death. But how did he do that? What was his task? Well, if you knew that what God was going to come over and visit you, how would you prepare? Just imagine that. God was going to come over to your home and visit you. How would you prepare? Perhaps some of us would change of clothes, our best clothing on. Some of us, our makeup, the lawns mowed, the best feast you cook in preparation for God. Once in a while, I, I make the mistake of inviting people over to my place without letting my wife know first. She's um, always very, very good with that and perfectly okay. But I do remember when, when it does happen and people are coming and I forgot to, people are coming over, we need to prepare, let's get ready. And so kids, quickly, make sure the laundry's in the basket and, and the mess is cleaned up and the rubbish picked up and everything else in that linen cupboard and close it up. You know, the linen cupboard we all have, everything's in there. When you open it, everything just falls out. Well, that might be how we might prepare for a friend coming. Clean up the mess, tidy up the room. But what if it is God? What if it is God? Well, listen to what John said. Listen to how he prepared the people for the coming of God. I mean, he certainly was not concerned for his own reputation at all. He wasn't concerned for his likability. He wasn't there to impress nor to be endearing. But yet people were flocking to him to listen to what he had to say. You can just imagine conversations amongst friends. Hey, I heard there's this new preacher in town. Let's go check him out. He's not dressed very you know, handsomely. He's wearing camel's hair and he eats funny food, locusts and honey. Honey's not bad, but locusts, not sure about that. But let's come. In fact, he's actually calling people names as well. He calls them straight out. He calls them all sorts of, let's come and check him out. And so you can just imagine these type of conversations around Jordan. And what did they find? What did they hear when they arrived? Well, it was a very interesting way to begin a sermon. Look at verse 7. You brood of vipers, who want you to flee from the coming wrath? That is, you bunch of venomous snakes. Have you ever wondered how that might go down if we preach like that today? You know, the preacher here next Sunday morning begins his introduction. This, you brood of vipers. You wonder whether the church will still be this full. I'm not sure I'm game enough to try that. But what was he doing? Why was he saying that? We well, see, he was preparing the people for the coming of God. It was a spiritual preparation. Now, we may not understand this or realize this, but the coming of God always means the coming of judgment as well. 
The coming of God always means the coming of judgment as well. And so when we speak about Christmas, it is joy, it is singing, but it is also the coming of judgment. You see, when God comes, everything will be exposed. There is no hiding from God. There is no linen cupboard big enough for you to hide all your mess from God. He sees everything. You cannot pretend when God arrives. And that's why later in the Gospel of Luke, when Peter meets Jesus, do you, do you remember what he said when he was confronted by Jesus? He fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He was exposed. When God comes in your presence, your heart is seen. Everything that was hidden is exposed. And so John was preparing them by warning them of the coming judgment. Judgment is coming. Be prepared for life and for death. You cannot hide. You cannot hide the mess of your life in any cupboard. He sees it all. And so John's message, you see, is the same type of message we need to hear today. It's very easy to skirt around the edges and not talk about sin or guilt or judgment, the judgment of God. Especially in our society and culture where we've become so apathetic about anything spiritual. In fact, so many have become so antagonistic when it comes to God. Don't you dare talk about judgment. What right do you have to speak about judgment? There's no place for judgment like that. But you see, unless we hear about judgment, we will not be prepared for death. And so John did not want the people to be deluded. You see, there's delusions all over the place. I mean, how many people do you know? How many people do you know, presume, if there is a heaven... When I die, I'm sure I'll be there without any doubt. You know anyone like that? They make such a claim, for sure I'll be in heaven. But yet they have no relationship with God at all, the God of heaven. Well, the problem the people that John was speaking to was that they presumed they were in God's good books. I am of the right bloodline. I'm amongst the covenant people of God. I'm a descendant of Abraham. Surely when God comes, it will be presence. And so verse 8, John warns them, Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. And you see, even those within the church, perhaps even in our church, we can make that same mistake today. I grew up going to church every single week. My grandfather was a missionary. My father was a pastor. I was even baptized. Surely I'm in God's good books. If he comes, there will be presence. But you see, judgment will come with the coming of God. And that was what John warned them of. And it is the true and same warning today. Verse 9, The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And so you can just picture that. The axe has already been swung. It's at the root of the tree. The tree's going to be chopped down. Judgment is almost there. And so John, he was preparing the people by not skirting around the edges, beating around the bush, but he said quite clearly, judgment is coming. There's a fire in the building. Get out. 
A tsunami is coming. Flee. There's an earthquake. Find shelter. There is judgment coming. And because there is judgment, John goes on to say that's why there is the need for repentance. That's why there's the need for repentance. And that was the message John preached, remember? A baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now what do we mean when we speak about repentance? What does repent mean? To repent literally means to turn around, to do a U-turn. I mean, yesterday I had to do a U-turn going down Glen Ferry Road. It was traffic, it was horrible. I had to do a U-turn just so that I won't be late. I was late anyway. But of course, this is a spiritual U-turn. Turning from your sins and turning back to God. Spurgeon, he puts it this way. Repentance is a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed, a resolution to forsake it. It is, in fact, a change of mind and a very deep and practical character which makes the man love what once he hated and hate what once he loved. Repentance is first discovery of sin. I notice in my heart that day I was envious. I felt uncomfortable when I saw my friend have that new thing, that new car. I felt envy in my heart. Discovery of evil. Mourning that we have committed it. I cannot be like that. That was an ugly thing to fall upon my heart. It should not be like that. To mourn over the sin and the resolution to forsake it. I cannot be like that anymore. I cannot be envious of what others have, what God has blessed those around me. I should be so thankful and content of what God has given me. Discovery of the evil of sin, mourning that we have committed it, and resolution to forsake it. It is to turn from sin and to turn back to God. That is to repent. It is a change of heart. And perhaps at this point, it is worth us all reflecting upon our own hearts. Have we repented? Have we genuinely repented? If you have a habitual sin, you keep on falling into that sin, into that hole, into that trap. You know, the eyes always wander when you're watching that movie. When you're walking down the streets, the eyes and the impure thoughts, they come in and you let it, you harbor it. It means that there's no genuine repentance there at all. Discovery of sin, mourn over it and resolve to forsake it. And that's why John said in verse 8 now, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Show that you are for real. Show me the fruits that you have genuinely turned around. You did do a U-turn. That you love what you once hated and hate what you once loved. You see, with the coming of God, it's not the mess of the house that needs to be tidied up like when our friends visit us. With the coming of God, it is the mess of our hearts that need to be tidied up and so produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And John informs them, if you've got an extra tunic, if you've got extra food, in verse 11, share it. If you're a tax collector, be honest, be a person of integrity. Don't collect more than is necessary. 
Verse 14, if you're a soldier, don't extort money, don't lie, be content. And we can add our own, can't we? If you are a greedy person, now, that's one sin that is very hard to admit. People will admit to the sin of impure thoughts, of sexual immorality, but greed is one very hard to admit to. But if you are, in your heart of hearts, turn and learn generosity. The next time you go out, you pay. Learn generosity. Or if you've been impure with your thoughts, with your eyes, what you watch. Love purity. Hate the sin. Or if you're one of those who are you're, you're an attention seeker, you seek the praise of men and women, learn humility. Produce fruit, we're told, in keeping with repentance. And the baptism of John was a sign of that repentance. And so, so far we've seen John is the forerunner with the message of judgment and therefore the need for repentance. Why? It was all in preparation for the king, for God's arrival. And of course we know the Lord is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And John, in rightful humility, he did not place himself on par with Jesus. I must decrease and he must increase. And of course that goes for every single one of us. I must decrease, he must increase. Especially those of us involved in any form of ministry. When we do receive the applaud and thanks of men and women, the encouragement, I must decrease and he must increase. And so John says in verse 16, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, and the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You see, what John was doing there was he was putting himself below that of a slave. To untie the sandals of anyone, that was the job of slaves. But John is saying, I'm not even worthy to be a slave of Jesus Christ. He is that big and I'm that small. And that's because John was only baptizing them with water. But Jesus, it will be with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now what did John mean by that? We see John's baptism of water was only preparation. Preparation for what is to come. Prepare your hearts, repent, get your heart ready. But it will be Jesus who will change your heart. It will be Jesus who will forgive your sins. Do you notice the language there? It was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He did not forgive sins. They were to be prepared for the forgiveness of sins will come with Jesus Christ. Even though you might repent, your sins still had to be dealt with and only Jesus can forgive. And of course, it is Jesus who will give the Spirit of God who will dwell in you. And we see that at Pentecost. You see, that's why John's baptism was very different to what Jesus will do. And that's why in Acts 19, when the apostle Paul found some disciples of John, only baptized by John, they had to be baptized again in the name of Jesus, and they received the Spirit. And so what John was doing, he was preparing people for life and death. Jesus, the Lord himself, was coming, so be prepared and don't think like how our culture makes us think, that Jesus is like this pushover. You know, he's your domesticated, kind, gentle, harmless, blue-eyed, long-haired, hippie Jesus. Not at all. He is a judge. 
He is the King of Kings. Verse 17, look at what John says. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the, his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he'll burn up the chaff and the un, with unquenchable fire. And so the picture is a farmer with his winnowing fork just flicking the wheat up. You flick it up and the wind will blow the chaff onto one side. The heavy grain will fall to the ground. You'll collect the grain, you put that into the barn and whatever's left, you burn it all up. And so the language here of John was that this will be unquenchable fire. It will be complete. Not a domesticated Jesus. He will judge and he will judge ultimately and completely. You see, this is the same one who said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. We don't like hearing about judgment, do we? But the truth is, there will be a day of judgment. And there will be no linen cupboard big enough to contain all our mistakes and sins and faults. The deepest, darkest secrets of our hearts will be exposed. How do you feel about that? And so the question is, are you prepared? I mean, that's part of my job. The job of the ministry team, the job of our elders. Are you prepared? Jesus has already come the first time. He will come again. We don't know when, but he will come again. We can be certain of that. And when he comes, the judgment will be final. The sheep and the goat will be divided. The fruitless trees will be chopped down and burnt up. The evildoers will be cast out from the presence of God forever. It will be a frightening day. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Now, just in case any one of you sitting there, you might be thinking, that's just scare tactics. You're using scare tactics to try to scare people into heaven. Well, it's a bit like hearing someone scream out, the building is on fire. It is burning. You better get out, otherwise you'll die. It's going to collapse upon you. You're going to die. Run, flee. But then you're there saying, nah, you're just using scare tactics. In fact, the modern person would say, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. I don't really see it. It's only a spark. Don't worry about it. Don't use scare tactics on me. But the, the building's on fire. You're going to die. You see, to speak of the judgment of God is not scare tactics at all. It is, in fact, good news. Do you see how John's preaching was described? Look at verse 18. With many other words... John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. You see, when we warn someone the building is on fire, that is good news. When we warn our friends and family there is a day of reckoning, that is good news. You see, the preaching of the gospel must also be the preaching of judgment. There is no gospel without judgment. Otherwise, what are you saved from? But many won't like it. Many won't like to hear about judgment. I mean, John himself, he got imprisoned. And we know later in life he was in fact beheaded because he proclaimed the gospel. I mean, I've been thinking about um, our ministry here over the last many years. And, and often over those years I've been asked, so why did you go into ministry? 
In fact, just last Sunday, I was asked this question just after the morning service. Why do you leave your profession? Why do you leave your career? How do I answer? The answer is the gospel. And that is, there's not only a heaven, but there's also a hell. There's not only a heaven, there's also a hell. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. There's also a hell where there is a place where there will be no reprieve at all from the torment and suffering. Even if you try to kill yourself in hell, you can't. Even if you try to run, you can't. You can't flee. Even if you want that drop of water just to ease your pain for a microsecond, you can't. It's terrifying. And so are you prepared? Because the only way to be prepared, the only way to flee from the coming wrath is not to flee from God, but it is to flee to God. It is to come to Jesus Christ. Because only in him, the wrath of God has already been poured out at the cross of Christ. The judgment of God has already been paid for at the cross of Christ. Now, you may have heard of the story, but many years ago, a father and a daughter, they were walking through the grass of the Canadian prairie, the, the, the land, the big, vast land. And they saw the prairie fire at a distance. And just like any bushfire, it is terrifying. I mean, we've experienced bushfires in Victoria. They are terrifying. The intense heat, the extremely fast way the fire moves and engulfs Everything in his path. It is terrifying. And so this father and daughter, they realized that the danger that they were in. And the father knew there's only one way to escape this. And that is to quickly burn a place where they were standing on a large patch of grass to burn it all. And so they did. And so they stood there. And as the fire approached, the daughter terrified. What are we going to do, Dad? The fire's coming. We're going to die. But the father assured her, the flames can't get us here. We're standing where the fire has already been. You see, you're only safe where the judgment has already taken place, where the ground is already burnt. And the only safe place to stand is on Jesus Christ himself, where the punishment of God has already fallen, where the punishment we deserve has already been met. And so are you prepared for life, but also for death? Because if you are not, flee. The fire is burning the building and you will die. But if you are prepared, then know the urgency of the message in this passage. We must be like one calling out, the fire is burning the building. The building's on fire. Get out. Because how many people do we know are facing the flames, but they do not know it? How many people do we know, our dear loved ones, are facing the end and are not prepared for death? You see, there is a heaven, but there's also a hell. And so part of the good news we proclaim, the love of God Yes, but it is the love of God for a brood of vipers, just like you and me. Amen. Let's pray.
Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your love for us, you will pour out the judgment that we deserve upon your Son, Jesus Christ. And it's on him we stand, for only on him are we safe from the coming judgment. And so, Lord, help us to see the urgency of the message of proclaiming the gospel where there is a judgment day. But we thank you for Jesus. We are safe because we are in him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.